Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. We are in our ninth part of this series we've just simply called Roller Coaster. And I've had a lot of you come up to me and say, Pastor Brandon, man, I have identified with this. I feel like I got strapped on a roller coaster and it's just been one twist and turn, one up and down after another. And the truth is, folks, that's life. <laughs> life has its twists and turns. And for us to be able to, to really let God into the fullness of our everyday ups and downs, man, we have to learn to just give him the whole thing and to trust him everywhere. So we keep coming back to this concept and because we all want to grow in this area. Joy in life. Is, isn't about embracing the ups or avoiding the downs, but in knowing that no matter what life throws at us, God <clears throat> loves us and will carry us forward. I hope that at the end of this time that this gets down deep in you, that you don't have to, to, to get up in the morning and, and stick your finger out and see which way the wind is going to blow to decide whether or not you're going to be able to have joy that day. You don't have to sit there and go, man, I'm going to let me check my Facebook and see, what, see what's, what's happened with my relatives. Let, let me check my email and let me see what my boss has told me my day is going to look like. And then I'll kind of decide whether or not I'm going to be able to enjoy my day. No, it doesn't matter what everything else throws. We understand that God's with us and that th those things don't have to control the place of joy in our lives. And we keep coming back to Romans 15, 13. Romans 15, 13 tells us... <clears throat> And may the, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. It's this progressive thing. It's as we trust in him. And here's the beautiful thing is this begins to be this, this step forward, this, this spiral up as we trust God and we get to begin to, to be filled with joy and peace. And then we take another step with him and we begin to trust him in another area. And we, we take another step and we're filled with more joy and more peace. And then we, we look up and, and we can be in the middle of the storm and still be at complete peace. I love it that we see all these moments where, where Jesus trusted his father. And the storms are the perfect place where we see Jesus decides to take a stroll out on the, out on the lake, out on the water, and it was storming. Seasoned fishermen were freaking out. And that's when Jesus decides to go on a stroll. He didn't need all the winds to die down and glassy, smooth water to be able to enjoy just the fellowship with his father. There's another time where a storm comes and this time Jesus is already in the boat and he's asleep on a cushion in the boat. And the boat's doing all the crazy stuff and it's going up and down and they're freaking out and they're thinking Jesus doesn't even care about us. He doesn't even care if we drowned. He can walk on water. He don't need this mess. He don't need the boat, but we do. And he's asleep. He gives us this beautiful examples of, of this place of joy and peace in the middle of it. Not so we can have joy and peace so it'll stop, but so that he can go walk all the way through. And we just see this all the time. And, and today as we, as we step forward to the next part of our looking at the life of Joseph. And if this is your first time with us, we've been tracking in this series the life of, uh, of the patriarch. Joseph from the last 14 chapters of the book of Genesis. 
And we have a whole lot of narrative. We have a whole lot of story about, Gen- about Joseph. And his life was a roller coaster. I mean, it's just crazy ups and downs. He, he's favored. He's at the top of the pack there in his family, even though he's a baby brother. And then they get jealous and, and they sell him into slavery. And now all of a sudden he's, he's at the bottom of the barrel and he's a slave, but he keeps being Joseph. And he comes, all of a sudden he rises to the top in the household and he's doing good. Life is good. He's still a slave, but it's, he's a pretty cushy slave. And life is all right. And, and then all of a sudden, his, his master's wife decides to like really go after him and try to seduce him and, and just straight up attack him. And he runs away and does the right thing. And she falsely accuses him. He ends up in jail. Then he's in jail and dealing with all this stuff. He's still Joseph. He ends up running the jail. It's just crazy, and he gets this opportunity where a couple of other guys who are in jail have these crazy dreams, and he and God gives him the interpretation. He's right, and he says, hey, when you stand before Pharaoh, tell him about me, and he gets forgotten. Spends two more years in jail just being Joseph, being, running the jail, taking care of business, being a servant. And then he ends up, we talked last week where... Pharaoh has a dream, and one of those guys that had had his dream interpreted goes to Pharaoh and says, hmm, I've, I kind of messed up. There was a guy that was, I was in jail with that he can interpret dreams, and you really need to talk to him, and God gives him, the, God gives, Dan, the, <clears throat> gives Joseph the interpretation of the dream, and, and Pharaoh all of a sudden takes him out of the prison, and Joseph is now the prime minister of the most powerful country on the planet at that time. Just boom, instantaneously. But he's still in a foreign land, and he's still away from his family. But man, life begins to be good, and Joseph gets married, and he has a couple of kids, and he begins to make a life for himself in Egypt. And now we pick up with Joseph, and Joseph has had some tough moments. Joseph's had some tough moments for sure. But if you remember, this all started with a dream. And he was not liked by his brothers. And he gets a dream that his, his sheaf of wheat is going to rise up and his brother's sheaves are going to come and bow down before him. And in this dream, he sees that he's accepted and, and his brothers are thankful for him being there to the point that his brothers are bowing down and, and he sees this family connection and, and it, not the tension anymore and he gets a little zealous and he shares the dream and that starts this cartwheel of events. And, and, but that dream, it still happened and he saw it and he believed that something was real there but his brothers were jerks. And now we pick up in just a minute with Joseph on top of the world. Multiple years into things. He'd gone through the seven years of good and everything went exactly like he predicted the dream would go. Egypt saw bounty and prosperity like they had never seen in their lives. And Joseph saved 20% of it. Socked it away for the famine that was coming. And Joseph still is alone and has all of this. And now he begins to step into, has to face what we're about to see is one of the most difficult trust points that any of us as Christ followers 
face. And that's when we have to begin to trust God to forgive somebody. And maybe you're here this morning and maybe you had a rough, rough weekend. And you just showed up at church just because you needed a break. That things were hard at home and things were ugly and things were messy. Maybe, maybe things were messy a long time ago and finally there's a little bit of peace and you feel like you've rebuilt your life and now all of a sudden you've been confronted with this place of pain all over again. And I'm here to tell you that God is going to be able to help you walk through that. See, because forgiveness isn't always easy, but forgiveness always brings life. It always, it always brings life. Let's pick up the story there in Genesis 42, verse 1. And um, remember, Joseph's daddy is Jacob who Jacob, God changed his name to Israel, and you'll see Jacob and Israel used interchangeably as we move through this. And so Jacob is still back at home, and he thinks Joseph's died. Remember, his brothers took his coat of many colors, soaked it in blood, and, and, and acted. So we found his coat, and it's all torn up and soaked in blood, and he's like, an animal ate him. And jo- uh, Jacob thinks his boy's dead. But there's this famine happening, and Here we are in verse 1, and when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, little did he know that the only reason there was grain in Egypt is because his son saved it up. But there was grain in Egypt. He said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? I love that. I love how normal conversations. How many of you, your dad would have talked to you like that? There's a problem, and he'd have said, why don't you just keep staring at it? Fix it. What are you doing? I love that it's just this raw, normal language. Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard that there was grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin. This is uh, Joseph's baby brother. uh, Joseph's brother with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain. For, <clears throat> for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land and the person who sold the grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Here is Joseph doing his job. Selling grain, making Egypt more prosperous than it already was. And, and, and he's handling the dis- dispersal of the grain. And in walks his ten brothers that sold him into slavery. And they walk in and bow down their faces to the ground. And there he is, seeing the fulfillment of his dream right there. Now... I was, got to lead um, one of our small groups. The leaders were out, and I got to lead one of our small groups recently. And, and one of the people in the small group, as we were talking about Joseph, said, man, Joseph, he just seems perfect. I mean, he's just perfect. He's just everywhere. He's doing the right things. Like, does Joseph even, he probably didn't even pick his nose. I mean, this guy's just so perfect. And I was like, just wait, just wait, just wait. We're going to get, we're going to get to Joseph's struggles. 
We're going to get to Joseph's. Because you know what? Here it is. We, we could have had a moment right here. We're about to read verse 7, but we're not going to read it yet. Okay? So here it happens. The, the brothers come in. They bow down to the ground. And he could have had his moment. It popped up there and said, Whoa, boys. It's me, Joey. I told you. I told you. Look at you bowing. I told you. Mm, I was right. You should have. Look at you. Here it is. It's lived out. Come on, guys. It's all right. It's, it's me. It's Joseph. He could have had this moment right there where he puts it all in, but all of a sudden, all that stuff that he had moved on from. He'd made a life in Egypt. That was old news, and all of a sudden, it is thrown in his face. Not just that he's faced with them, but it's the fulfillment of the vision and that Joseph was right all along. Not only was their wrong thrown in his face, but that Joseph was right all along. And it just floods him. And there it is. Now, verse 7, as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and he spoke harshly to them. Ooh. All of a sudden, the cauldron has been stirred up and he is ready to come at them. And he spoke harshly to them. He says, where do you come from? He already knows this. Where do you come from? From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. And he remembered his dreams about them and said, you're spies. He remembered his dream. He remembered that God had prepared him for this moment, but he was not ready to step into it yet. So he said, mm, you're spies. You're spies and you've come here where our land is un to see where our land is unprotected. He said, no, my Lord, they answered, your servants have come here to buy food. We're all sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. <laughs> honest men? You're telling the wrong guy that you're honest men. You tried to kill me. One guy had to talk you into selling me. You hated me my whole life, honest men. Yeah. No, he said to them. I think that just came up out of him. We're honest men. No. You have come here to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers. Now... Joseph begins to show up in their narrative. Your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lived in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. They just kind of gloss over what happened with Joseph. He's, he's just kind of gone. Joseph said to them, it's just as I told you, your spies. He knows they hadn't even brought the truth out. They haven't even really told what the honest truth here. It says, it's just I told you, you're spies, and, and this is how you'll be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of, the num one of your number to your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you're telling the truth. If you're not, then surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. 
He sticks them in jail for three days. They come to buy food and he sticks them in jail. I think Joseph is having some problems forgiven. I think he's having some issues. We see some limits of that Joseph is running in and all of a sudden we see a real man inside of this Joseph narrative. You know what that tells me? That tells me we don't have to be perfect to live with integrity. Joseph got to where he was at because of his integrity, but he wasn't perfect. So many times we give up on trying to live to a higher standard because we see all our shortcomings and we tend to say, well, it's okay if I don't live to this because I, I, I kind of mess up here and here anyways. And we, we lower the bar and we don't live to the place that God has called us to live because of some of these other things. That is a lie. God's called you to a higher life than the one you're in now. He's called me to a higher life than the one I'm in now. And he's constantly carrying us forward and the Holy Spirit is moving us forward. See, forgiveness may not have been your first response. It wasn't Joseph's first response, but it doesn't have to end there. We move on to verse 18, that on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison. I love that he brings that back up and he throws it back in their face. If you're honest, guys. This is how we're going to do it. Let one brother stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take back your grain from the starving household, for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. So he's threatening their lives. This they proceeded to do. <clears throat> they said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this has come upon us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give accounting for his blood. Years and years and years have gone by, and this person is still, these guys are still haunted by what they did to him. See, he thought that they had sold him and wounded him and moved on. And then, but that step, pain and their regret, it still lived. It still lived. It still hung over their heads. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. And he turned away from them and he began to weep. They're speaking in Hebrew he has not revealed that he understands Hebrew and they don't know that he's eavesdropping on them saying and talking about what they did and owning the fact of what they did to Joseph. And then all of a sudden things began to take a little bit of a turn. And he began to weep and then he came back to them and spoke to them again and he had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes and Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain but to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and they left. So they get the grain they need and he puts the money back in the sack. And folks, I understand that forgiveness isn't easy. I understand it's not. But sometimes there's some steps that we can begin to make to help us get there. And folks, finding a way 
to step into a place of generosity to someone can begin to open your heart to forgiveness. This is the first little place we see that Joseph begins to turn as he takes their money and he gives it back to them secretly, seals it back up, and he sends it. Sometimes just doing some little act of benevolence, some little act of kindness, whether they know you did it or not, can begin to turn your heart and begin to open it up for God to move and create a place of forgiveness. See, the ultimate expression of forgiveness is when you have the power to be vengeful, but you don't. When the power is fully in your hands and you let only love win. See, God has called us to love our enemies. And I know you and I battle and deal with things, but folks, there are people on this planet who are purposing to follow Christ, and they have people who have set themselves as enemies against them. We're about to see the story of a man who lives in Bethlehem right now who's walking out what it means to love their enemies. Roll that. I am a Palestinian Christian, and I have lived all of my life in Bethlehem. Today, Bethlehem is a city that is completely surrounded by walls and fences. The wall just completely engulfs the city. Living in the wall is like living in a big prison where you are deemed guilty. We grew up in a culture where we were called to hate Israelis for what they were doing to us. Every Israeli to me was a bad person who was occupying us, wanted to destroy us. And I learned that I can stand up for my rights and stand up for my dignity, and I can resist those who are occupying me, but doing it nonviolently, without being violent to them. And I felt that this was the right thing to do. I would even say that this is what Jesus would be doing if he was in my place. Jesus would be standing with the victim against the victimizer, with the oppressed against the oppressor, with the occupied against the occupier. But part of my journey was to begin to really understand that my faith calls me to engage in much more. The time that Jesus lived in, uh, he and his Jewish community were also living under a very suppressive occupation, the Roman occupation. And Jesus could have said anything to the Jewish community at that time. He could have said, uh, we should make peace with our enemies. He, should, he could have said, we should negotiate with our enemies. We should resolve our conflict with our enemies. He could have called his people to do that, and people would have been maybe very upset with him, and they would have maybe even labeled him as a traitor. Jesus went beyond all of this. He called us to love. What Jesus calls us to do is not just to make peace and then step away. He calls us into unity. He calls us into oneness. When you love somebody, when you love a member of your family, when you love your wife, your husband, you create a new oneness with them, a unity with them, where there is no other actually. The challenge to all of us is how are we living this globally as well? And I believe that the teachings of Jesus have the answers that the world is looking for. We are just called out to live them. We are not called to just make peace. We are called to create a beloved community of all the peoples of this land. And that for me is what loving the enemy is all about.
the struggle that Sammy lives in right now dates all the way back to Genesis. You have the, the Palestinians and the Israelis at odds with one another and fighting over who has right to this place of this land. And as Sammy, who was a Palestinian, became a Christ follower, then all of a sudden the love of Christ begins to bridge this gap that centuries and centuries of hate and animosity had built up these tremendous walls and the love of Christ is the only thing that can do it, that can break through it. See, God has called us into this place and to carry his love and to love those and radically that are against us and to forgive radically those who have offended us are the only things that are going to break the cycle of hurt and retribution that we see in our world. Nothing else is going to do it. It will be propagated multiple centuries further until we begin to, to radically love and forgive one another. And we see Joseph begin to live this out. See Genesis 45 one, it says, then Joseph could no longer control himself, all his attendants, <clears throat> before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. This is after they've already gone, got Benjamin, come back. There's a whole lot of stuff that's taken place. There's a whole lot of, 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 of stuff where he's, Joseph messes with his brothers, and it's finally he's at a, at a breaking point, and he has everyone leave, and so there was no one with Joseph and he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when, he, when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves. How many times do we want people to regret their mistakes to us so much that we want them to be angry at themselves over? We want them to have some self-loathing. And if we can see them regret it that deep, then maybe we'll begin to forgive. And, and Joseph says, don't do that. Don't step into that. Don't, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And we have this beautiful place of restoration. But always in the back of the brothers' minds, they thought... That he was going to at some point repay them. At some point he was going to repay them what they did. And, and when the, the whole family ends up moving to Egypt. All the brothers, all the children, all the grandchildren. Jacob moves to Egypt. Everybody's living in Egypt. 66 people move there. There's 70 counting Joseph's family that are all of the line of Jacob that are living in Egypt. And Jacob lives his days out there and he, and he dies. And the oldest brother says, you know what? We need to go and throw ourselves before Joseph because now that dad's gone, he's going to repay us for what he did. And we see this interaction of how Joseph responds when they come and throw themselves before him. 
in, in verse 19 of verse 50. It says, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? What a powerful statement. Every time we put ourselves in a place to judge and to, 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 <clears throat> to wield that kind of place of whether or not we're gonna, we want repayment or, or not deal forgiveness or any of that stuff, we stick ourselves in the place of God. And Joseph, who understood power and authority, said, there's a place I cannot step into, and that is the, the shoes of God. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. They were afraid that they were going to be repaid. But all Joseph wanted to do was to forgive See, when you have the opportunity to repay someone for the hurt, you also have the opportunity to forgive. See, we, we call it forgiving, not for paying, not for earning. We call it forgiving. Why? Because forgiving is for giving. Forgiveness has to be a gift. If someone has earned your forgiveness and you haven't given it, you're the jerk now because they've earned it and you're withholding their right pay. There's always a place in forgiveness where, this, where the, where the teeter-totter never got, never got level. If you're waiting for things to be balanced for you to give forgiveness, you don't want forgiveness. That's not what you're looking for. You're not willing to step into forgiveness. You want everything to be even. You want everything to be level. And then we're going to just call it all right. No, forgiveness is something we have to give. They haven't earned it. They haven't done anything to receive it. We just choose to not be bound up by the hurt and the pain anymore. And we say, I'm moving beyond it. And I forgive. Folks, Joseph, he had a hard time with it. I understand it's hard sometimes to forgive. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will give you a path. Maybe it's in a place of stepping out and just beginning to do some, some acts of generosity and some, something nice, begin to, to show a little love and care. And you're like, but I haven't forgiven them yet. That's okay. Just begin to move towards forgiveness. But the time of forgiveness, when it, forgiveness happens, it's still an act of generosity. They won't have deserved it. They won't. And that's why it's forgiveness. But see, the reason we can do it, the we can, reason we can live in this place of forgiveness is because we understand we're forgiven people. If you're here to this morning to try to earn your way to God, it can't happen. You can't do it. That's why God sent Jesus to us because we could never get to him without that. So he sent Jesus to us and, and provides forgiveness, something we can't earn and something we don't deserve. And after we have been recipients of that, we can now give it to others who didn't earn it and didn't deserve it either. But the only way relationship can be extended and life can be brought in is when forgiveness is freely given. See, folks, joy in life is found in trusting God through the twists and the turns 
in one of the biggest, the one of the biggest, most difficult twist and turn is walking through a place to genuinely, genuinely forgive. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.